0: Welcome to the Visegrad Insight podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. June, as beginning this week, starts also with our monthly foresight next to the weekly outlook on democratic security. And we review the important events happening in June, and there are many next to the ongoing war um, in Ukraine, started by Russia with its invasion, ongoing invasion. Uh, we uh, see through that light uh, a number of events unfolding and a number of decisions that are going to be made. In, um, in June, we have NATO summit at the end of June uh, with a new strategic concept and probably um, a number of uh, decisions to be taken on, on the future of NATO, including the membership of the two applicant countries, Sweden and Finland, and Turkey's opposition um, to this membership. The the context and the, the ongoing war uh, of Russia on Ukraine and the resilience of Ukraine is something we're going to discuss and uh, actually very soon. And also there is a lot coming up this week on Visegrad inside with a number of texts to be published um, by Ukrainians or with UK- Ukrainian focus. There is uh, there is summit um, there are ongoing summits uh, in the EU. Uh, but one of the important ones is, is coming up at the, at the end of June. There is a lot of lobbying for Ukraine uh, candidate status and also there is their eyes on, um, on the North Macedonia, Albania in that process, on the Western Balkans overall, as also this is a very um, eventful scene in terms of democratic security, not only in Central Europe, but on the continent. And there are other conferences and events we're going to focus on. But first, um, let me uh, let me pass on the mic to uh, to Miles, who will tell a few more words about the launch of the of our uh, Future of Ukraine Fellowship publication schedule with with a number of really valuable um, Texts that are upcoming, um, and then we'll pass it on to to Kamil, Kamil Jarończyk, Miles Maftian here uh, with with me in our studio, um, and to discuss uh, specific items on the political agenda and political de- developments in Central Eastern Europe. My name is Wojciech Szybulski, so welcome to the show, Miles. Um, focus on um, uh, focus on on Ukraine.
1: So as you all know, we do have the Future of Ukraine Fellowship. We have three fantastic Ukrainian thought leaders, and I've been working pretty closely with them to try to understand different untold stories as the fellowship um, was established in in this way. And three of the three of the pieces this week are actually coming from from our fellows. So the first that I'm extremely excited about is, is coming from Vitali Portnikov. This is essentially. It's coming out today, actually. And this is roughly about territorial claims in Europe, right? Um, Whether they're a problem for the EU. Um, Vitaly goes very deeply into the actual question here. Um, Somewhat of a personal reflection, but of course something that um, is a broader, deeper sort of identity, but also philosophical question that is rooted deeply into um, the history um, uh, of his life, and then, of course, of, of what others in Ukraine actually feel.
0: And I'll step in here to to also uh, say that v- Vitali writes this uh, excellent, a really beautiful piece uh, in in the defense of of nation states as a construct, as a project that defends the people from genocide, that defends uh, and should defend people also in, in the post-Soviet space, as he discusses not only the victims of, uh, of Russian invasion in Ukraine, but the victims of Russian imperialism That's uh, as individuals, they come from unrecognized nation states from all across the post-Soviet Republic. And I think this is also how uh, humanist and, and, and elevated, but also very precise, this text is and deserves uh, uh, yeah, deserves a read and deserves a uh, sharing. So please do uh, share this across your platforms as well.
1: Yeah, of course. And when you think of liberalism and the the foundations of liberalism, there was never this sort of attempt to actually go away from from the nation state. It was to actually contain uh, the sort of extremist ideas. That we would have behind the nation state of nationalism and so forth. So it's just great to actually see this reflection where there is a, more of this sort of globalized trend in, in liberal thought these days. So that's good. That's great. And then kind of a, a different take, but something that mm-hmm. is the actual stories that 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 we hear about uh, or that, excuse me, that we don't really hear about. This is coming from Christine Karelska. So Christine, what she did uh, she, she started essentially a, a series of articles, and the first one will come out on Wednesday. And this is the broader question here is sports diplomacy. So sports diplomacy, what we mean by this is, are sports really beyond politics? We generally know that a lot of people who are huge sports fanatics, they, they almost always are saying the same line of, Oh, I don't want to talk about politics. We know that sports is beyond this and so forth. The only time that sports and politics can maybe mix is when we have World Cups and we see nation flags uh, flying everywhere and so forth. Right. But football diplomacy here is what exactly happened uh, with the Ukrainian case. Right. So there were when the war actually hit. There are many different stories um, that that Christine is basically showing, and these are stories from some of the some of the biggest names uh, in Ukrainian women's football. And the idea there is is what precisely happened when the war hit. What happened in response uh, to to sort of the 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 diplomacy that not only the individuals that are on the Ukrainian national team, but also more broadly how was fifa responding to this what are the ties with russia and fifa what is the underlining story there so we have the first part of a several part series coming out this week um with some great photos and and great stories to come so this is also great and then so
0: maybe we also
1: tell uh, to our
0: listeners how we're gonna publish that because this is going to be one text that's right and it's going to be uh, up- updated right
1: yeah it's one text and we're going to update as a, as opposed to just have you know five different sort of urls there um, and it's something that we want everyone to essentially come back to in this way. So it's a different way of kind of approaching that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last piece is by Bogdan Bernatsky. and, and this, it's also a, a topic that is near and dear to, to me, as we talked about the banning of the Z symbol and, and so forth. So it's a question of how is Ukraine actually responding to pro-Russian actors and what you see within the piece is incredibly enlightening. And it's a very real problem, not just a theoretical one. So this is going to be further explained in in Bogdan's piece. Um, We hope that you continue to come to the site, subscribe and give more so that we can continue to hear more of these pieces, not only from them, but for other fellows.
0: Yeah, exactly. The the three texts that are uh, published this week are possible thanks to your donations and subscriptions, and many more generous um, uh, supporters of the Future of Ukraine Fellowship that, uh, that uh, enabled us to fund six-month-long fellowship with, for, for really amazing people that we featured before on this podcast and also on our site, Vitaly Potnikov, uh, Christine, and, um, and, um, yeah, and Bogdan. But now back to the center of Central Europe and the developments here are um, really significant. Uh, developments of the last week deserve a, a bit of a spotlight on them. Um, first, maybe we, we start with a, with a case which is uh, both more, um, uh, let's say, that, that stole much of the news. Perhaps that's why also it was on purpose announced in Budapest Mm, Viktor Orban announced that uh, only Hungarians will pay the regular price and everybody else will pay uh, additional fee for their gas at the gas station. So unless you have a a Hungary registered car, uh, so the the plates would tell that uh, your your vehicle is is registered in, in Hungary. Well, then, uh, sorry, then um, you'll have to pay uh, significantly uh, higher amount um, of um, at, at at the checkout. So, uh, Camille, uh, what's uh, what what's the re- what's the logic behind it? What what are the repercussions expected, and what's your take on it?
2: Yes, um, it, a very a very in, uh, interesting uh, occurrence. Viktor Orban and Hungary basically ending uh, something that was part, of, very much a part of their campaign. You know, the campaign for, for Fidesz was that uh, with Fidesz, with the continuity of Fidesz, there will not be any price increases for Hungarians. The Hungarians will be able to live in their, their small, happy lives, in their small, happy country. Uh, damn be the world around them. Uh, but, uh, but of course, such uh, policies, uh, as every economist will say, especially price caps, they always come with, um, and they come with uh, consequences, uh, economic consequences. Uh, which uh, after now that Fidesz has won, slowly they have to come to terms with the fact that uh, the deficit is growing, that um, un- unchecked spending is uh, going uh, will affect the economy, and they are starting to look for revenue. How, how they can uh, attain revenue. And one of the first things that they saw was the fact that uh, many people living on the border of Hungary would come to Hungary for petrol tourism to uh, pe- tank up their cars and then go back. Uh, so this was the quickest uh, quickest uh, way to uh, quickest way and easiest way because no Hung- uh, Hungarian vo- uh, voter, although people Hungarians living in Slovakia or Hungarians living in Romania are not registered in Hungary. So, it's not just for Hungarians, it's for Hungarians registered in Hungary, even though Fidesz's uh, Fidesz's rhetoric always says that they are the government for all Hungarians.
1: Yeah, I also, it's really funny that you mentioned this, because I was in Budapest over the weekend, and I was also talking with, you know, I just went to the store, but also was talking with several other people, the, the eight products that are essentially incredibly cheap. And it's so funny because it's I think chicken breast yeah. is one of those products that is essentially capped, right? Um, I don't know, maybe to to do the the proper chicken paprikash or something along those lines, and only specific types of milk, for instance, right? So that those eight products, and then you can already see on the actual shelves that these are the things that. You can't find in comparison.
0: But overall, this is just, um, as you say, this is part of a wider policy uh, package that Viktor Orbán released last uh, last week, um, using, again, um, decrees, uh, the basically partially suspended parliamentarism in, in Hungary, as he's... Uh, um, as, as he got, uh, as a prime minister, he got new powers from the parliament again mm-hmm. um, for the third time since 2015 on different logic, this time because of the war of, uh, in Ukraine. He's allowed to uh, to make decisions without uh, the parliamentary procedure really active. Uh, he increased uh, taxes on, on businesses, especially bigger companies, especially those in advertising, um, in multinationals um, and then the next day he he made this move also for the foreigners to pay Hungarian problems. Mm. I don't do not see how that is compatible with the EU single market yeah. and the decision will likely to be contested and reversed but as we know from the past uh, Budapest, uh, Budapest is quite prepared usually to do that uh, they know um, they're making Deliberately, a decision that is in violation with EU rules, uh, just to uh, just to be able to clash on the agenda um, of, of national versus European interests to build up their own. Platform and at the same time, they're perfectly aware that still they're implementing something which is, um, after it is being withdrawn, it's irreversible. Mm-hmm. So they're getting, uh, they're they're calculating on the prices on the on the incomes to the budget that they are gonna take. Now this is in a stark contrast to what we are seeing currently in poland let's not be naive the polish government is not changing its mindset to become a eu uh, you know um, pro eu integration uh, uh, government also not that france or germany enables or helps with with moving that direction as france and germany in their political communication are doing all the past mistakes once once uh, again Including the long uh, telephone call uh, with Vladimir Putin over the weekend, but Poland, um, meanwhile, is preparing to uh, end the raw uh, the battle for the Recovery Resilience Fund, uh, the money that has been uh, pending uh, for Poland. Mm, they were suspended by the European Commission in the process that some contested, but still it's it's a process that the Commission had the right also to suspend, saying that they're protecting EU budget, taxpayer money, until Poland reverses some of the key some of the key uh, elements of, of the judicial reform. Not all of them, but just three. And one has just been passed through the lower chamber of, of the Polish parliament. That is namely the cancellation, the, the, the removal of the disciplinary chamber in the Supreme Court, but then there are two other conditions on the restoration of justices that are not being yet made. Nobody really knows how and if they're going to be made. They're conditional. They're important conditions without which commission says they will not release funds. But you can see that this this lack of trust is still being translated into uh, positional negotiation tactics in which both sides are coming closer and closer um, on the on the on the um, you know on the finding necessary compromise, nobody is going to be happy about them um, the only the only risk that uh, it still entails is that once the laws are changed and apparently there will be as we see on the trajectory uh, there will be money paid uh, EU will release uh, funds which are so needed in the current crisis as well. And uh, there is a risk that at any given moment in the future, uh, the ruling party will use the and instrumentalize once again a uh, compromise constitutional tribunal with politicized staff on board uh, to, rule, uh, to rule these changes and reforms that were just passed as, yet again, uh, not constitutional and not valid, uh, rendering a, another uh, chaotic uh, situation on the rule of law in, in, in Poland. Nonetheless, the situation in Poland is different from Hungary, In again, on this long-term trajectory that Poland is making some concessions. It's disorderly, it's chaotic, and yet it is succumbing to the pressure which is uh, coming, as we described in the 2018 scenario, a sort of a shotgun wedding. It's not exactly the scenario that we've described and we stipulated that the, the, the Polish government may go because of such a crisis, because of migration crisis, refugee crisis coming from a military aggression of Russia on its, uh, uh, on its neighbors to the east of Polish border. Um, we stipulated that it could lead even to the Eurozone uh, accession and yet this is not really happening. Although um, this, this drive to secure Poland uh, in the in the Western community is quite strong. All that, all of that, plays into also the uh, the question of the future of Europe. Conference concluded last uh, month with a number of countries, essentially Central Eastern European countries and the Nordic countries, um, issuing common statements uh, that protest Macron's vision of some opening of the treaties. That's also being pushed by the European Parliament protesting the, the institutional agenda, as it is called in a common non-paper by, by several of those countries, to, uh, to, to uh, make changes to the European project because of different pressures, coming also partly um, from the deliberative exper- experiment the conference has been, and partly in, in the situation when we have um, the pressure from, from Ukraine. The countries of Central Eastern Europe and the Nordic countries say, "Well, wait uh, for it, because it's also not the time to um, to have such a serious initiative uh, uh, when uh, when the European project is indeed under attack." But at the same time. As you read the cover, the, the headlines from, from around the European press, there is also a lot of discussion of, of whether European project can really survive the pressures, the internal pressures and the dynamics uh, that is, uh, seems like a break, uh, breakup of, of the main strategic Alliance uh, in in Europe. It seemed that post Brexit there will be more unity without Britain on board. It seems now that kind of British or Anglo-Saxon perspective unites very much with the centralist Eastern European and Nordic perspective that is that is uh, rooted in the in the in the strategic consideration for security. And it is different than than German and and French. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I guess we're not that pessimistic, but there are serious worries ahead. But Camille, did you want to add something also to oh, I the, just wanted to to add the, the developments? Yeah,
2: that just uh, that when it comes to the contestation of the rule of law mechanism in the EU, it was contested by Poland and Hungary. But uh, the court, the ECJ, uh, which is of course um, uh, you know by, by the EU with, with uh, the involvement of EU countries, has decided that it, that it is um, within the remit of the um, uh, of the EU. Therefore. Um, it's not contested anymore. Yeah.
0: Well, it is not contested on legal grounds, but it's not implemented on the Hungarian. In the Hungarian case, Hungary is not seeing the EU recovery funds apparently anytime soon. and their uh, and their um, radical moves, I would say, are probably part of the pressure points next to the, applied to the EU bloc. Next to the opposition to the oil sanctions, that's uh, that are likely to fail, also mm-hmm. because of Hungary. I should mention that the non-paper and the position of uh, Central Eastern European countries and Nordic countries exclude Hungary. Hungary is not part of the um, of this statement, which positions uh, Hungary in a very specific, peculiar moment, uh, place on on this um, uh, strategic map of Europe uh, if one might say because they're neither here nor there although of course their position helps uh, to to cutter to to uh, to cuddle to the several business interest and lobbying interest uh, of course including Russians but not only those so um, that's it for today's podcast uh, of, from our studio. And then we have the next item, uh, which is the conversation with our Marcin Krul fellow, Krzysztof Izdebski. Um, and uh, Kamil Jaronczyk speaks uh, to Krzysztof about his recent piece also related to the rule of law and uh, and the fundaments um, of anti-corruption. anti-corruption strategy for Poland specifically. Or
2: the lack of.
0: <laughs> or the lack of indeed from the Polish government at least.